will definitely not shut up and dribble. The champ is here. I must be the greatest. The champ is here. I'm going to continue to stand with the people. The champ is here. I will, I will not, not lose. lose. Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you are here with we. My name is EJ, and I got my man. MH. Yes, he is the DB of the show, and we are black in sports, giving a voice to the culture that won't shut up and dribble. Here interviewing the best professionals in the game and in the boardroom. Here covering it all, laughing it all, while providing a platform to be heard. All right, so you know it's been a while, but this is how we do it. We love to welcome our guest. He is a award-winning sports reporter, okay? Recent master's grad. We're going to definitely get into that. Uh, from Northwestern. Um, he's a multiple Hall of Famer, so we want to explain that, too. We want to jump into that. And then you all may know him from, you know, his little day job, you know, that he has on Sundays. Yes, he is the commentator on a little show you may have heard of Fox Sports Sunday. Please, 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 please clap it up for Kurt Menefee. <laughs> I hope that intro was okay, man. <laughs> it was. I may get you to may hire you to be my hype man whenever I go anywhere. Maybe <laughs> sound better than I am. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Well, hey, how we start the show is we start the show with a, a shoot your shot moment. You know, it's just really kind of that quick story just to get you going. Um, a time where you bet on it all or you bet on yourself. You know, it could have been good or bad. You know, it could have been a lesson you learned from shooting your shot and maybe having to catch that rebound. But give us a shoot your shot moment. Uh, probably the one that made the biggest difference as far as where I am now is, um, I was doing local sports and I came up, you know, we can talk about it as we go on, but, you know, doing sports on the 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock news, you know, depending on where you are at, at night, um, and doing that report. And I got into New York city, which is the biggest market in the country, the number one market, the place that, you know, most people who are doing this would like to end up, uh, their careers in, in local sports. And I did that and I went there in 95. But in okay. 2004, I said, this is no longer satisfying me. I enjoyed the sports aspect of it. Um, I enjoyed the work part of it, but it wasn't fulfilling. Maybe that's probably a better way to put it. So uh, I gave up the gig. It, it was the number one station, WNYW in New York, uh, Fox 5, uh, the number one station in the number one market. And I just decided, you know what, I'm done. And I walked away. Um, the goal was, though, I thought I wanted to do more play-by-play and in order to get better and do what i you know get to the next level if you will i needed to be able to do basketball and baseball and other sports that you have to do at night and you can't then do the 10 or 11 o'clock news afterwards so i gave all that up walked away not knowing where i was going what was going to be the future um i was going to pay the rent the, the mortgage um and just kind of gambled and you know eventually I was doing games at Fox, so I did have that as a background, but, you know, NFL games on the lower tier, I think like the fifth or sixth crew out of six crews, um, and decided I'm just going to shoot for it, shoot shoot my shot. And I wound up doing that. It lasted for about a year and a half, and then Fox came to me when James Brown left and went to CBS and, and put me in the studio, and, you know, the rest is history. So, I mean, I, I think it was probably one, you wonder sometimes, had you stayed there as a local guy and not tried to pursue the other stuff, where your life might have ended up. But I, I think there's so many places we all look back over time. You're like, man, if I hadn't gone this way or because I went that way, some things happened that you could never draw up. Absolutely. Love it. Bet, bet on yourself. So, yeah. yeah. Kurt, where, where did your uh, love for sports start? Probably when I was a kid. I mean, I grew up in Atlanta, um, single mom. And my mom wasn't a huge sports fan, but she would pay attention enough, you know, to know. Um, but my grandmother, was a big Atlanta Braves fan. As a matter of fact, the first sporting event I ever went to was my grandma taking me to see the Braves and the Pirates play in 1979. So uh, that was probably it. My uncle was around. He was a big football fan, a big sports fan. You know, and I was always a bigger kid. So I, I would play sports and, you know, I mean, I'm sure my age again, but, you know, back then we just played sports in the neighborhood, man. And, you know, part of the year you played football and part of the year you played baseball and part of the year you played basketball. And I was pretty much one of the two best athletes probably in, in the neighborhood. You know, there's always those two guys, they go head to head and it doesn't matter what the sport is. So I was that. And so I was always really, because I was good at sports, I liked sports. And, and, you know, my uncle really pushed me towards football being a bigger kid in particular. But baseball was really my first love. And, and that came from my grandmother. And she was a big Braves fan and would take me to games. And, you know, we watch all the games on TV and, and all that stuff. So I think that just homegrown is where that love came from. That's awesome. So I 
as the as the first captain, I'm sure in the neighborhood selecting the team <laughs> uh, on the on the baseball diamond. Uh, yeah. Was was pitcher the the position? No, no, first you... place. I was see. I could I could hit the hell out of the ball. I mean, I it was one of the things I could you know I I could hit and I could field a little bit. Mm-hmm. I couldn't move great, so <laughs> so that was the issue. So I got stuck at first base, and that was it. Because basically, it was either you're going to be a first baseman or a catcher. And I didn't want to be a catcher. I didn't want to squat down and, and the you know, knees and, and get beat up and all that kind of stuff. So I wanted to be a first baseman. And they loved that because they needed my bat. So that was it. I was first baseman for um, for baseball in um, you know grade school and high school. Uh, I was a tight end and linebacker for football. Again, positions that require a little bit of athleticism, but not a lot of speed. So <laughs> that was kind of me. So I was a big man, at, at, you know, for my size um, in basketball. And I would just kind of post up down the lane get rebounds and pass the ball out. You know, that was it. And your five fouls, those count, baby. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They do. <laughs> now you mentioned your knees, you know, being a, being a, um, a catcher, but you also said uh, when people want to know if you play football, that you got the, the scars on your knees to prove it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I, and again, you know, not going back on the age thing, you know, I'm 57. So I'm not that old, but I've got the old school knee surgery. You know what I mean? Like the big scar all the way around one the- side <laughs> and a scar around the other side. People look at me like, you know, man, what happened to you? Oh, yeah, football. But it was, <laughs> it was, in a way, that was a, a blessing. And I go back to talking about not knowing how life is going to work out. That happened to me when I was 15 years old in high school. And that point, mm-hmm. you know, I, yeah, I thought I was going to be an NFL player and how good I was because I was better than most kids my age. Uh, and you know, now I know one, I don't have the size, and I never would have been, no matter how athletic and whatever I was. But I wasn't athletic enough. Now you're old enough to know that that was. Zero shot of happening. But when you're 15, you think you have a shot. And I blew out my knee in a game and um, tore all the ligaments in it, broke the the kneecap, everything. And so it was a year and a half before I was able, again, rehab was a little bit different then. It was a year and a half before I was able to walk without any assistance. I started out on a walker. Then I was on uh, crutches and I was on a cane. I had to be homeschooled for um, the rest of that school year. It was in November. So the rest of that school year all the way till June. And so um, because, you know, I went to a high school that, you know, there was no ADA then. So mm-hmm. we had stairs and half of my classes were on the second and third floor. I had a walker. I couldn't get up and down the stairs. Right. So they had a public school system, send a, uh, uh, an instructor to my home three days a week, you know, and had to keep up with class and that kind of thing. But my point is, is that that made that dream of being a professional football player disappear at the age of 15. And you go, well, wow, that's a hard thing to lose when you're that age. But it forced me to think, Okay, what do, what do I want to do? And I say, well, I want to be involved in sports somehow, and I want to stay around the game. And look, there's a million things that you don't know when you're that age. And so I was like, well, maybe I can be a photographer because that's one of the few things I knew that sports guys could do. Okay. There weren't a whole lot of brothers on TV uh, in a studio or calling play by play. And so at that point, I don't know that even registered in my head. So I thought maybe I wanted to be a sports photographer so I could stay around the game. But that got me on the path of thinking about doing something else besides being an athlete and different ways of staying around sports uh, and maybe turning that into a career. So again, that's one of those things that you, you wouldn't really wish on yourself, but it's one of the best things that ever happened to me. Absolutely. And then during that time, you had a lot of downtime. Is this where you picked up the love for the guitar or was this, did the guitar <laughs> love come a little later in life? Where, yeah, no, that, that kind of came, the guitar came later in life. Okay. So what started is I started out playing instruments when I was young. My uncle that I talked about, my, my that I'm named after, my uncle Curtis, oh, wow, uh, he okay. was a, a jazz trombonist. He played with a lot of session uh, recording session musicians, uh, toured the country, played with a lot of jazz bands and blues, a lot of blues as well. Um, and so when I was off the top of my head, seven or eight, he gave me one of his trombones to start playing. My arms weren't long enough to reach all the notes. <laughs> so I had to kind of maneuver it and kind of figure it out. But with that, I started playing in the school band. I played in the school band for like fourth, fifth grade or whatever. And then the um, orchestra teacher at school recruited me to play stand-up bass. And so I started playing stand-up bass in the sixth grade. Um, so I was playing the trombone in the band and stand-up bass. And then um, before that sixth grade year was even done, she says, you're good enough to be in the high school band. So I was like the child prodigy, you know? So I wound up playing in the high school band when I was in the end of my sixth grade year, but seventh and eighth grade, uh, high school orchestra, excuse me. Uh, and then when I actually got to high school, I decided being in the orchestra wasn't cool enough. 
So I gave that up. Now I'm looking back. I'm like, well, being a trombone player wasn't that much cooler either. So, you know, <laughs> but it sounded better being in the band than being in the orchestra, you know? Absolutely. So I, I gave that up and I wish I hadn't. And so as I got older, I started playing the bass guitar again. And that's what I played as an adult, just goofing around and, and playing around and that kind of thing. And then um, for my 50th birthday, my wife bought me a, a Gibson electric guitar because I, I played with a, a, an acoustic guitar periodically. And so she did that. And so then I started really getting interested in playing the guitar as well. But still, bass is, is my first love. So I don't play the trombone around the house anymore, but I can play the bass. You know. There you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. So so getting past some of that, the, the injuries and then finding ways in sports um, that you mentioned, um, you, you reached out to Fred Hickman of, of CNN and that helped mm -hmm. me make a college choice. So I guess what, what gave you the mindset to do that and, and how did that conversation work? Uh, having the the stones of a 17 year old kid <laughs> and that was really it so uh i i you know cnn fred hickman back then again uh cnn did sports and they had a show called cnn sports tonight that would air at 11 o'clock each night half hour and it's basically what sports center is it was a half hour then but it was bigger than espn bigger than sports center i mean it was the place that everybody went to watch sports and fred hickman was uh one of the anchors there um and when i started getting recruited. I went to co-college in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a little division three school, uh, and which we can get into going from Atlanta, Georgia to Cedar Rapids, <laughs> Iowa, the <laughs> whole different thing. Um, but, you know, Fred was on CNN, black guy, and I heard he had gone to co-college. This is after I started getting recruited. Co has no, had no, still has none. Uh, journalism program, no television station, you know, and all the things that you think you would want to do if you wanted to get in it. But when I heard he went there, I just said, eh, let me pick up the phone. And I called CNN. They patched me through to his desk. I left him a message saying, hey, you know, I'm a kid. I'm going to Turner High School. I'm thinking about going to Coe College. Just wanted to get your uh, insight. And he called me back. And he wound up telling me a lot about Coe, a lot about Cedar Rapids. And we established a relationship. He helped me get an internship at CNN the summer after my freshman year in college. And that's how I got started in television, 100% because of him. That's awesome. That's unbelievable. So, I mean, you basically were doing uh, the in uh, the the virtual schooling before. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, I was I was DMing the old school way. I, I was <laughs> picking up the phone and leaving it. Yeah, all that. Yeah. Pioneer, baby, trailblazer. <laughs> I might have got to blaze the trail. Blaze the trail, right? Uh, love it. So. Um, talk to us about Co. I mean, so that's one of the Hall of Fames that you're right. in. So, yeah. um, you know, lead into that, but just tell us about because that's the first thing I saw. I was like, okay, kid from Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you see Iowa. So, what was that kind of you know breakout for you to kind of get adjusted, right? Yeah. Oh, that that was the big adjustment. You know, and it's so funny just to, to backtrack a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I was going to uh, Turner High School, and I think we had about two thousand students there. Um, so I had 2000 students in my high school and I had 1200 in my college. So that was the first adjustment was going to a college that was smaller. Small. My high school, I would say it was all black, but we had one white girl that was there. So it, it was 1999, uh, one young white lady. Uh, and then when I went to college, it was just the opposite out of the 1200 students. There were 40 of us that were black, uh, 44, I think was probably about the peak number when I was there. Now it's much more diverse now. Uh, the school's a little bit larger, but it's much more diverse. Um, but, you know, yeah, we had a couple of international students as well, but but that was it. So everything was flipped upside down. It was smaller. I was certainly in, a, in the minority, which was strange because when you're growing up as a young kid in Atlanta, when you're growing up as a young kid, probably anywhere, you think everywhere is like the world that you live in, that the yes. neighborhoods look like that and those kind of things. Yeah, you see things on TV and maybe you go, you know, we went to visit our relatives in Washington, D.C. Well, Washington, D.C. was the same as Atlanta. You know, they're, they're both chocolate cities, you know? So like you, okay, this is what it's like everywhere. And that was one of the things that Fred explained to me. He goes, you know, there are more Native Americans in Iowa than there are Black people. So be prepared when you go there that it's going to be a lot different than where you grew up. So I had that in my head, but it's different hearing it than seeing <laughs> it. Um, and so I think that was a bit of an adjustment, but I, I think one thing is I've always been comfortable in who I am right. and, and you know, those kind of things don't bother me. So I go, okay, this is how I, I need to adapt. And I just keep being me and doing my thing and it all work out. And, and so that was my approach, but it was eye opening certainly to, to step off. I went on the Greyhound bus to Cedar Rapids, Iowa from Atlanta 
So I mean, you know, I grew up, I told you, single mother. We had no money. Had I not gone on the scholarship, I would not have been able to go to college. So we packed up my stuff, hopped on the Greyhound bus. It took me about 36 hours. I got off the bus. The recruiter picked me up at the bus station and took me to campus. And that was the first time I saw the campus was when I arrived there for freshman orientation. When was the first time you saw that snow? What, what was that? What was that reaction? Uh, you know, this is, yeah. yeah. I, I always remember <laughs> my my freshman year, you have this January is in the Midwest. I mean, it is below zero most of the time, at zero. And I remember one day it was 21 degrees and everybody was walking around in shorts and t-shirts. And well, what the hell's wrong with these people? <laughs> 21 degrees felt warm after, you know, two weeks of zero. So that was kind of the, the welcome to the Midwest moment. It, it is funny, though, like, you know, I grew up in Atlanta and we get ice storms and stuff every winter, every now and then, but nothing major. <laughs> my senior year, after I decided to go to Co, we had an, uh, the biggest snowstorm that the city had ever had. It snowed eight inches one morning, like overnight into the morning. So school gets canceled, all this kind of stuff. By four o'clock in the afternoon, all the snow had melted. And there were, now it was flash flooding in the area because there was just nothing but water everywhere. But that was like, is this a sign? Is this trying to prepare me for what I was going to be like? You know, what snow is like? Uh, obviously, half a day didn't get you going. But, you know, one of the great things about going to school at a place like Co or, or somewhere in the Midwest is they build it around it. I mean, there were underground tunnels, not for every building, for a lot of the buildings. So you didn't have to go outside and be exposed. But, you know, I, I just can't stand cold weather. I live in California now, and it's one of those that if it gets below 60, I'm freaking out. You know, my wife and I turn the heat on when it's like 63 degrees outside, you know. <laughs> so I, it's not environmentally friendly, but, you know, I, I just can't stand the cold, man. And, and so that took a little bit of adjusting, too. And so I went to co-college for four years. I uh, then worked in Des Moines, Iowa uh, for one year. And then in Madison, Wisconsin, which is a, uh, I was a weekend sports anchor there. Mm -hmm. And that was the first anchor job I had. So, and that was two more years. And after seven years, that was another one. I go, okay, I'm out of the Midwest. I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm not seeing <laughs> here anymore. And so I had made up my mind that that last winter that I was there was going to be my last winter that I was there. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I did, trust me. There's only so much plugging in the car battery you can do in the oh, middle of the night. Scraping the ice off the... It's nuts, man. It is. Yeah. And in the, the last winter I was there, we had a two-week stretch where it didn't hit zero. So it was like not even for a high for the day. And I'm just like, <laughs> uh, I'm done with this. I am no, done. thank you. Yeah. I served my sentence. Let me out, you know? <laughs> that far. I so um, kind of jumping into the career, man, we're going to like jump back and forth, but yeah, I want to start you go? with um, I think in my opinion, you know what I mean? Cause, uh, I think it's the best Sunday sports show. Um, you know, well, just kind of comment, go back and forth. Yeah. Um, but it's like, it was full circle for you, man. Like you started like part of your shoot your shot was you started at Fox. And then like you said, and I think it was 2007, six that, uh, that you came when I got back put in the studio, you got put back in the studio after yeah. the show. Yeah. 2006, which is a little complicated because, JB left and went over to CBS. Then. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in 2006, Fox decided to put me and Joe Buck as co-hosts on the show, but we did the show on the road, okay. kind of like game day or game like day. Yeah. Saturday goes out Fox. So we'd be on the road in front of the crowd before the big game on Fox, but that was always the game that, that Joe did. So mm -hmm. we kind of shared the duties that year. And then 2007, moved it yeah. back to the studio and I took over full time and Joe stayed on the road. So yeah, that's why it, People go, is it six or seven? It's a little bit of both. <laughs> gotcha. But yeah, it got put back in the studio after all that time. And it, it is funny because I quit the studio because I wanted to do something else and I wanted to go back to the studio. <laughs> I don't go back. Yeah, but it's a whole different role, man. And this is heaven. I mean, this is, you know, doing the local sports. I loved it. I, you know, I really did. But, it, you know, after a while, I needed a new challenge. And I think that was it as much as anything else. You know, you're doing highlights of your local sports teams. Um, and it's, three minutes at night at the end of this newscast. And, you know, the way local news goes, oh, if there's a fire or something and it runs long, well, you don't have three minutes. Now you got a minute and a half because you're the end of the show and that's all we've got left. Um, you know, and, and so you get tired of being a stepchild, I think is part of it. And it's, it was, I was not treated wrong or anything like, it's just the nature of the beast. I mean, that's just what it is. Uh, and, and so I think that after a while, I just didn't feel challenged by it anymore. And so I, I wanted to do something different. And I had started to do play-by-play. -play, and I was doing play-by-play -play, uh, for the NFL for Fox, uh, which I started doing that in 97. And I wanted to try other sports and expand my horizons and say, okay, you know, maybe this, this would be it. And I can remember, I don't know if you know Dave Sims. He's the play-by-play -play voice of the Seattle Mariners now. 
but he was a local guy at the CBS station in New York, and he was doing some play-by-play for CBS Sports from a, a college basketball standpoint, a little NFL. And I remember talking to him one day, and he was doing the same thing. He was going to leave and stop doing the local news thing. And he goes, man, I can tell you what. And I had just started doing play-by-play. He goes, the more you do this, the more you're going to realize that, that that's where it is, that it gets your blood going. You know, th- there's nothing like it. And he was 100% right. You know, that being in a, in a stadium, uh, in, in my case, uh, you know, I did a couple of WNBA seasons, but in an arena or a stadium in front of a live crowd. Uh, and it's called play-by-play because literally you have no idea what's going to happen from one play to the next. That excitement, that thrill totally changed my perspective on the local news. And, and I think that had something to do with feeling the need to be challenged again because then I would do the Fox games on the weekends, or, you know, the NFL season. So you do a game on Sunday and then you go back at Monday and you're sitting around and you're doing like three minutes of highlights and, you know, there's no live crowd and the, the juice is just not there anymore. And so you, you kind of need that fix again. And, and I think that that, I don't want to say I was addicted to it, but but I, I needed that adrenaline rush that I didn't get anymore, at least, from doing local sports. Speaking of local sports, and we'll obviously jump back, but yeah. you were part of two major markets during, like, the heydays. So, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> obviously in, in the Dallas area during the Cowboys Super Bowl yeah. run. And then in New York, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Cowboys. Uh, I respect the Cowboys. And then the Knicks, that's my NBA team. So you were in New York during the time where the Knicks were, you know, constantly in the conference finals. And obviously the Yankees. Long time ago. Long, long time ago. Yeah. Winning. So I guess covering – uh sports in those markets during that time yeah how was that that see that part was great and that's where the where the juices were flowing from a local sports standpoint because when you're doing local sports in the hometown teams winning championships there's nothing else like that because you're around that team you know those players the coaches uh and i'm not saying you're part of that team but there's a a, a, a an energy of right? community that yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of a shared experience because you're with these guys when you go to training camp. And, you know, when I was in Dallas, we flew on the Cowboys plane back and forth to games. So you play cards with Emmett Smith and you do these kinds of things. And so you had relationships that when they won, it felt like you were a part of it, even though you contributed absolutely nothing to it. So I was in Dallas for uh, 92 to 95. So that was Jimmy Johnson's last two years, which were both Super Bowls. And then they lost the NFC Championship game that final year, which was Barry Switzer's first year. I go directly to New York. In 95, the Yankees start winning World Series in 96. So they won four of the next six. So I had a stretch of six of eight years where I was with you know a local team that won it all, either the Super Bowl or the World Series. And that was unbelievable. That was fantastic. Then that kind of stopped happening, and I really got into the play-by-play. And I think those two worlds kind of made me realize, again, that I love the play-by-play more. But I'm telling you, there's there's a whole energy and a whole lot of excitement by being around the team that's winning, especially in places like that. Dallas is a football city. Yes. And the Cowboys winning is, is nuts. New York's a baseball town. And the Yankees winning is even nuts. And so, like, you're at the parades and you're doing all these kind of things. And those are things that, that, that you know, you can – a lot of people who do that for a living wish they could be around one championship team. And I was blessed and fortunate enough to, you know, be around, when you count the years, six of them. Uh, and I can remember telling George Steinbrenner the first year that they won. And I said, hey, you know that when I was in Dallas, they won two Super Bowls. And I come here, <laughs> second year I'm here, you won a World Series. I said, maybe I should get a ring. Uh, George didn't find that funny, I don't think. But, yeah. <laughs> hey, you shoot your shot, right? Uh, you got to shoot your shot. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, playing on that, right? So mm-hmm. you've done UFC, boxing, mm-hmm. soccer. NFL, mm-hmm. NFL Europe, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> NBA, yep. XFL, yep. USFL, yep. and Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball, I Major League that. Baseball, yeah. And, and you talk about like all of those and that love for play-by-play. So mm-hmm. is that really what pulled you to do America's Top Dog? <laughs> <laughs> In a way, yes. You know, it, it, it's it's so funny that I am not a big social media guy. I think anyone uh-huh. who checks my social media can figure that out. You can follow me if you want. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't think I've been on Instagram in two years and, and Twitter's probably been pretty close mm-hmm. unless it's you know promoting a cause or something that I want to make sure that I, I try and get the word out and support. Um, but <clears throat> when did I, I started doing America's Top Dog, I think four years ago. The point being that when I was posting 
frequently on social media. Most of it was me and my dogs. You know, mm-hmm. whether we're out on a hike or just them doing something stupid or we get back from vacation. You know how like your dog sees you and it's like you've been gone forever, you know, and they come running up to you like those cute things. So right. most of my posts were about my two dogs and uh, and the people from you know who were putting together the show. One, I know the executive producer watched our show regularly and then she saw that I was a dog person and they wanted someone who could kind of do play by play because it was a dog competition. It was American Ninja Warrior with dogs, basically. Is probably That's exactly what I was gonna tell our audience because our audience probably like, what? Yeah, so it's definitely (laughs) American Ninja Warrior for dogs. (laughs) Yeah, three seasons on A&E. So they wanted someone who could do live play by play. Mm -hmm. Um, Knowing I was a a dog person, having watched our show and knowing I could do play by play, I think it all kind of came together. And I can remember I was in Sri Lanka when I got an email from, on vacation. So uh, my wife and I were there and, you know, you check your internet and I try not to check it too much on, on vacation, but every other day maybe or so. And I had an email from my agent and he was saying, and there's the show and they're putting together and they would like to know if you you know want to host. And I'm like, well, what is it? Explain, you know, America's top dog, explain it to me. He sent me the, what they call a sizzle reel, which is when they show you like the concept of the show. Um, and I saw that and I like, it's pretty cool. Tell them I would be interested. And we negotiated the whole thing while I was on vacation. So awesome. I was in Asia because that was we did uh, Sri Lanka, Bhutan, and Nepal, Nepal, and so I was halfway around the world uh, and and got this deal done. So when I came back, it was like okay, uh, we start shooting. I can't remember. It was only a couple weeks after I got back, so I had to kind of figure everything out real quick. I and, and it. <laughs> but it, yeah, it was fun. It, it really was. So I'm I'm very interested in uh, your perspective on the game now, or covering the game now, or just kind of taking us behind the scenes. As much as you can, mm-hmm. you're like the quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. And I know I know you're communicating with everybody off camera, on camera, yeah. staying yeah. on schedule. Yes. So, as the quarterback, is there any struggles that you have on day? Is there segments that you like? Ah, I wish I would have hit that route. You know what I mean? Like, how does that? <laughs> oh, no, work? You know, I mean, there's always that. I mean, it, it's funny because I, I my wife always goes, you know, right after the show, she watches the show. Sometimes live, sometimes she records it because she's got things to do on a Sunday. So, but she'll watch it before I get home for sure. Or mm-hmm. she'll text me, hey, you know, I saw the show. How'd you feel? And so I always say, oh, it was a good show. You know, I like this to this. But there were these moments, and I always do that. And I'm like, she probably doesn't really care. She's asking a question just to be nice. <laughs> but there's always something. It's like the same thing. If you're an athlete, there's a shot you miss or, or, or a foul you made or something you do that it probably didn't matter in the outcome because you won the game by 40 points. In your head, you're replaying that over and over and over about how could I have done that differently? How could I have done it better? Or sometimes you stumble or say the wrong word. And it's like, it's really not that big a deal. But to me, it is. So there's always that element of it. Um, But it is the big challenge for me. You talk about being a quarterback is, as you said, the the contact with everybody in front, behind the camera, behind the scenes. I mean, and so it doesn't just happen on Sunday. You know, my week starts Tuesday probably every on a regular basis and we try to take Monday off but you know, I talk to my producer on Mondays usually and we talk about Sunday kind of a little bit review and then kind of start looking forward to but really we start hard work on Tuesday and um, I am involved and, and not taking credit for it because there's a lot of people involved don't get me wrong but it's communicated with me I'll say it that way you know like the features we're going to do uh, who's going to be on the show you know like when Gronk was on a couple weeks ago or if Clarissa Thompson is going to go do a feature, um, the the story ideas that we have, the, if we're going to play a game, what we're going to do. So I, I'm involved in all of that. Um, and my producer, our producer, Bill Richards, and I talk a lot just about ideas. And sometimes it'll be something, hey, what do you think about this? And he throws it out and I go, oh, okay. Or I go, mm, I don't know about that. And he and he's really great. I'm like, okay, if you don't feel it, it's almost like a coach and a quarterback. Because right, yeah. he's like, if you don't feel it, then That's it's not cool. going to work. Yeah, so so why are we even doing it? Um, or he may sell me on it. I go, okay, I didn't see it that way. But it also goes vice versa. So I, I think that communication happens. And it's not just with him. He's the main guy. There's other producers on the show and in the voiceovers that I have to do and other things. So when we get to Sunday, I feel like I've got a grasp on, I mean, everything. As to like what camera angle they're going to shoot here and what they're going to do there. That's all great until we do the show because our show is like 70% ad lib. So it could go in any direction, but by knowing everything, it helps me be able to pull it back on the rails and, and get us going again. I don't know if you saw like uh, this past Sunday, Howie had been talking with Sean Payton, who's with us this year, you know, mm-hmm. former coach. 
Um, and Sean, while we're behind the scenes, we're just telling the names of some of the routes they run. Uh, and they're like smoke routes and, and you know, he's got, he got weed heavy real quick. <laughs> you saw that, right? And all of a sudden, Howie, this, who's the biggest square? I mean, he'll tell you. He's, he's the biggest nerd, the biggest square, whatever. And he all of a sudden tries to go doobie and blunt. <laughs> and we're like, what the heck? Where'd that come from? What are you talking about? So it went off the rails, but in a fun way. We all laugh. We die. We hear more about that part of the show than anything else. And we all love right. it. So I, I play with that. Um, and then I think the, the line was how he said, uh, well, you guys said I should lighten up. And I said, yeah. We said lighten up, not light up. Not light it up. So, <laughs> yeah. so then that allows me to kind of get it back on the rails and get us redirected back to talking football rather than letting it go crazy. But, you know, part of that is, and I, I'm sorry for rambling here, but part of that is kind of a feel on me as well. Uh-huh. Like, how long do you let it go? Because that's fun. That's where everybody's having a good time. So yes. you don't want to be the parent and rail it in too much or too soon. So you let it go, but then also you got to kind of feel out, okay, when's enough? Now we've had enough. Let's get it back here. So that's the part of it. But that goes back to kind of having a good handle on everything that's going to happen on the show. And I know, okay, now it's time to get it back here and how to get it back here um, because we need to get this in. Or sometimes you go, okay, we can sacrifice this next game because it's not as good as what we're doing right now. So Right. And that has I mean, to be so hard. I'm just yeah. go, like, just, a cop, just because. Well, that's one of the things you never feel perfect about. Because you go in your head, you're like, oh, did I let that go too long? Or did it go long enough? You know, like so you go back and forth to that because it is, it's all, it's a field. That's all yeah. it is. And the fact that you guys have been together so long and such a, like, yeah. I think what I enjoy most about and why I believe it's a favorite is because all of you guys are like, you know, coming to like my life and like, you know, so, and even Miles, I mean, MHS has, has this right because of coach, right? Like he was a mm-hmm. Dallas Cowboy coach. He was a mm-hmm. Miami coach for me. So, and, and you know, straight hand, like all of the people have like positions in their lives and you guys are such a big family. Like yeah. you riff on each other, which is yeah. great. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, you, you, you guys point out, you get serious when you need to, um, mm-hmm. That's one of the things we actually posted. We'll probably get to that a little bit, but it's just great to see that, man. So with all the changes, um, I mean, with doing that, I mean, we just commend you and I enjoy it. Well, thank um, you. I appreciate it. I think part of it is – oh, No, I, I think the, the, the real reason that it works, and I tell people this all the time, is that we genuinely love one another. And I don't use that word lightly. You know, yeah. we don't just show up on Sunday and pretend we're friends. We, during the week, yeah, you know, if I showed you our text chain, you know, HR would fire all of us probably, you know? So, so yeah, Jimmy, Terry, and I watch college football every single weekend that, that Jimmy's out here since he's kind of alternating some of the weeks now. Right. Um, but we all watch college football together. We do a boys trip every off season. We go somewhere. This year it was Vegas. The year before they came out here to California. We've done the Keys where Jimmy lives. We've done Montana where Howie lives. But it's just a long weekend that we all get together and it's just us. Yeah, our producer Bill Richards comes as well. But mm-hmm. it's just us and we just hang and you, you know, guys have been in each other's weddings and like he was best fan of my wedding. Mm-hmm. Michael's uh wife tried to uh, set me up with her sister once. I mean, like, like we've known I've known Michael since 1995. I've known Jimmy since 1992. I've known That's Jay awesome. since 1995. You know, um, and when I say no, I mean like personally, no. So yeah. I, I, those relationships are, are not just showing up on Sunday and going, okay, let's talk football. You know, we talk on the phone during the week, all we, we text, we do all that kind of stuff. So we really care about one another. And I think that's what comes across. That's what people sense when they see us giving each other a hard time or being serious and, and having each other's back. You know, when you have a moment like, you know, Terry did this year where he told everybody about his cancer battle. It's like, we've known that for a while, but, you know, we're there with him. And that was another thing that people brought up. They said, we could see that you guys, you know, truly love him. When you, I mean, yeah, of course you do, you know. So I think that whether it's serious or lighthearted, our affection from one another is what comes across on the air, hopefully. And I think that's what people respond to. That's awesome. And a new studio this year. How how you like yeah. the new digs? Yeah, it's 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 crazy. It is it's the biggest, most technologically advanced studio I've ever been a part of. And my understanding is that's in live television. They wow. use that set or that technology, I should say, for uh, the Mandalorian which is on you know, the Star Wars show on Apple. That's the only place it's ever been used. So we're the first people ever to use it on a live set. Uh, and it took you know two years to, to get it done. They, they were able to tear down the old one and build it in this off season, but from a technology standpoint to get it all working. Uh, and I think it also shows just about how good the people we have are technically behind the scenes. Because knock on wood, we're six weeks into it and nothing's you know gone wrong, at least nothing that people at home will be able to see. And you know how it is. Hell, at home, half the time, your Wi-Fi doesn't work right, you know, or your computer screen, something happens. 
And there are, and I'm not, not joking, thousands of monitors that all have to work in sync, that all have to you know, be done and changes that have to happen. And there are computers on the floor. If you watch our show, you can see the football field instead of it being that old AstroTurf like they used to. Now right. it's all computer screens. So we can do whatever we want. We can put live action behind us. We can do all those kind of things. Uh, and and we've been able to do it without a glitch, but that's because our technical staff, uh, not only the ones that do it on Sunday, but the ones that built it and made sure everything worked right before we got here. And I know they spent the entire month of August all coming in every single day working on rehearsal shows to make sure that when we got to to September and when those of us that actually are, are talent on the show show up, that things work. So a lot of people sacrifice a lot of time to make sure it works. And, and you know, it, it could not be better. Mm. So, Kirk, I mean, it's it's for for me, it's, it's you guys with the NFL and then obviously EJ and all them at Turner Sports with uh with basketball. And those are my I'm, boys. Yeah. I, I, I text EJ uh, uh, Barkley. Barkley texts me like on a Sunday. Hey, this segment <laughs> was hilarious or whatever. You know, I'll go drinking whenever we're in the same place. Uh, have drinks with him. I shouldn't say go drinking because that sounds terrible. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> sounds a little classy. Drinks sound like wine. Yeah. Yeah. Wine, exactly. wine. <laughs> drinks. It's not classy. <laughs> yeah. So, but like and all those guys, you know, because I look at what they do, they look at what we do. And I think everybody yeah. in this business respects one another for sure. But I also think that we kind of do it on a different level. You know, mm -hmm. he, and EJ in particular. The gang he has to corral is, is about as crazy as the gang I have to corral. Mm -hmm. So I think we have a little bit of empathy for one another. But yeah, I love their show and 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 you know, big fans of them. And it, you know, they're one of the shows that I don't even watch the game sometime and I watch them. Right. You know? Yes. Yeah. And that was and that was kind of like part of my question is like uh, some of the fan base and the, the people that watch football and people that watch basketball are a lot different now, right? So it's yeah. not necessarily just the same route and what this route mm -hmm. looks like. There's a lot of other things that they watch the show, maybe not even watch the game. So mm -hmm. covering the game is for as long as you have, what are some of like the major, obviously we know the major differences with fantasy football and yeah. betting and all those type of things, but what are some of the subtle differences that you have seen throughout the, the course of the game covering it? You know, I, I think those are a couple of things you mentioned, but that's caused people to look at it differently because, right. you know, I, I've got a friend whose son is 12 or 13 that age, whatever. Um, and he watches, he walks around and he has a Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City Chiefs jersey on, lives out here in California. And so I go, oh, you know, you're a Chiefs fan. He goes, no, I'm a Mahomes fan. And I think that's how a lot of people watch the game now. They have their favorite players. Sometimes it's because of fantasy football, but sometimes they just go, okay, I like that guy. We grew up rooting yeah. for teams. Teams. They grew up rooting for individuals. Right. And I think that is, is, is one thing that's certainly changed that's different. Um, but from our standpoint, you still cover the teams and stuff. But it does, you know, you highlight, I guess probably a good example would be if we did a feature 12 or 15 years ago, it would probably be on, hey, the Eagles offense is really good, blah, 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 blah. Now it's Jalen Hurts. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It's, a, it's a different perspective the way you kind of look at it. Uh, and I think that's one of the influences that it certainly had. Um, but I always go back to like our show, and I think kind of the same reason that people like the Turner show, is that it's more about us and personalities. Yeah. No one's ever come up to me and said, you guys did a great job of breaking down the cover two last year. No, <laughs> no one that. It is, uh, Howie was, was talking about weed and you guys are funny. You know, like that's <laughs> what people remember. So I, I think we've had a little bit more leeway because we were never in that corner where, okay, we're going to break down X's and O's for a solid hour for you. It's never, that's never been our show. And so I think that's allowed us to be a little bit more flexible and not have to go, okay, how do we flip the script? Unlike, you know, some other shows that that is what they do. And there are people that want that. There's some people that want to wake up and go, I just want to know X and O's. I want to know the betting line, you know, you, different strokes for different folks. I always say some people like strawberries, some people like vanilla, man, you know, everybody <laughs> doesn't have to like the same thing. And luckily we're in a world where you can get provided with whatever you want. I like it. I like it. MH, ready for those quick hits? I am. So, Kurt, these are kind of some get to know you questions a little bit better. Some okay. things that come to mind kind of first. Uh, okay. First time, if ever, that you've been starstruck. Oh, <laughs> well, that doesn't count like when I was a kid and I ran into a, a player at the mall. I remember Pepe Frias was a shortstop for the Braves yeah, in the early 80s. Um, and he was an all-star shortstop. And I saw him at the mall. And, you know, but I was like, 13 years old, whatever. And I saw him. So I was starstruck by that. So that that won't count. But that's the first one that I certainly remember. 
Um, as far as being an adult, I would say from a sports standpoint, the first one would probably be when I was a local guy in Dallas and um, was around. It, it's weird because being around Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin and Jimmy Johnson was almost routine. But when <laughs> they played the 49ers in the NFC Championship game that first year and be, and it was just a locker room interview with a, a bunch of people around Jerry Rice, that was one of those. Holy cow, that's Jerry Rice. You know, I'm standing right here. All I'm doing is holding the microphone. But you, you, like you're in, in the same atmosphere. <laughs> and, and so that's probably one of the ones that really jumped out at me uh, from that standpoint, for sure. I know you got a lot. Sorry. No, no, you're fine. No, no, we love it. We love it. I know you have a lot of stamps. So give me your top three places to travel. And then the the, the cuisine. Cuisine? I cuisine? The word. Cuisine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to give you three totally different places because it depends on what I'm looking for. New yeah. Zealand is probably my favorite country in the world. Um, huh. I've been there six times. Um, I've been to Italy six times, New Zealand six times, Australia seven times. Um, but I've been to 92 countries overall. But I would say New Zealand's my favorite country in the world. The Maldives, my favorite place for beach. And then... Bhutan was my favorite, like getaway, middle of nowhere, no internet, no nothing that I did love that. But I, I will say, can I have a fourth? Because yes, <laughs> yes. we did um, a safari in Tanzania. And mm. I found not only the safari to be fantastic, the people of Tanzania may be my favorite people in the world. They are the kindest, uh, most gentle, um, welcoming, friendly people. And it's almost like... A, a, my wife and I talked about it. It's almost like they want you to leave there and tell the world how good it is. And they're not doing it because they're acting or they're faking it. That's just who they are. That's so I, Tanzania would be on that list for sure. But there are a lot of good places, man. There really are. That, yeah, I've been fortunate enough out of the 92 countries, there's probably three to four that I go, yeah, I didn't like that. <laughs> been there, done that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Most of mine, I really enjoy Because I like meeting people. I mean, I think it's one of the things and again, I'm, I'm sorry for making your quick hits, long hits. No, no, do your thing, man. But, but I, I went to Antarctica one year. Um, mm. And the way I got there, and I talk about liking people, the year before, I was in uh, Chile. And I was down in, in Patagonia and down in Tierra del Fuego, which is right at the tip, the southern tip of, of South America. And I realized this is as close as I'll ever be to Antarctica. And so I'm in a, a bar. I know, okay, so I talked about drinking. Now I'm talking about being in a bar. You come to Vegas, Kurt. We kicking it with you. Let's add a question to quit here. Let's, okay, let's, yeah, there you go. No, no, no. Go ahead. But I was in a bar, and I speak what I call travel Spanish. You know, I, I, I know enough, especially when I get immersed in it for a couple of days. I can speak enough to understand. I'm not saying I'm conjugating verbs correctly and all that stuff, but I can communicate with people. And I was talking to a guy and I was just saying, you know, is there a way to get over to Antarctica? And he's like, no, you know, because there's no Southwest Airlines that hops you from Chile to, to Antarctica. But my cousin is a, a scientist on the Air, Chilean Air Force Base in Antarctica. Here's his email address. He gave me his cousin's email address. I emailed the cousin and there's no way to just hop over there that year. But he was like, look, if you want to come back next year, they have three months, a three month window where they can invite people there that are non-Air Force people, non-military people, uh, for a maximum of three days. So, and you got to get there on, on your own plane and all this kind of stuff. But he, like, I can help you do this. So if you want to, let me know. And so we worked the process so that the following year, I was able to go and spend three days on the Air Force Base and in, in, uh, the Chilean Air Force Base in Antarctica. And that was a great trip as well. But that goes back to liking people, man. I like just sitting around yeah. and, and being somewhere, especially a different culture and something you don't know. And, and, and finding out about people. Another story, I was in Tonga and um, I was there at this, it's called a resort, but I was the only person there. And it was, you know, they brought me a fan at night. And, and I mean, it was, you know, it was very basic. We'll say it that way. But the guy that took care of me there was, again, sweetest guy, nicest guy. And I was the only person. So, you know, it's basically one of those, what do you want for dinner? I'm like, what do you got? He's like, whatever you want. We'll go to, we'll get it. To the so, store. Yeah, exactly. So we did a lot of that. But the point is, after a couple of days I was there, he says, hey, I'm off tomorrow. What are you doing? And well, the same thing I'm doing every day. I'm just sitting here and reading. I mean, I was, I, that was my getaway, do nothing. And so he goes, well, why don't you come to my house and I'll cook for you? I'm like, okay. 
So, I mean, it's a small island. So I wound up walking to his house. Um, his wife and, and mother and like the whole family lives in one place. They kill this pig. Um, he's a small, you know, suckling pig. Um, cooked it in the ground. Now that took you know, quite, a way, uh, quite, quite a while, but I just sat there and he explained like about his life and, and what was going on by his background and his family and the culture and all those kinds of things. And then we just sat on the ground and ate. And it was like, I felt like, you know, Anthony Bourdain or, or whatever, that kind of thing. But those yeah. cultural experiences, again, I like, that's what I try to find when I, when I travel. If you're in Paris, you're going to go to the Louvre. If you're in Rome, you're going to go to the Colosseum. You know, I'm not saying don't do those things because I think we all need to, especially these are things you read about when you're in, in eighth or ninth yeah. grade. So th seeing that history and those kinds of things are fabulous. But also try to get something cultural about wherever you go. I talk about the people of Tanzania. We did the same thing in Mozambique. You know, we've wherever we've gone in the world, my wife and I now, but even before when it was just me or I travel with buddies sometimes, but a lot of times solo, I try to get off the beaten path, if you will, and, and, and meet some people. And sometimes those are workers at a bar or a restaurant, whatever, but they're going to tell you where to go and what to do. But a lot of times you'll wind up saying, hey, like this guy, I'm off tomorrow. Why don't we hang together and I'll show you around town and I can show you our culture and these kinds of things. And so you get much better food. I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> right. You really do no matter right. where you are. Less expensive and much better food. But you really get to see how people live in other places rather than just kind of seeing what they what the country wants to show you um, from a cultural standpoint because they want in the guidebook or, or to get tourists there. And the, the one bottom line I, I think that you learn is wherever people are, everybody's just trying to do the best they can for themselves and their family. And, and that's, that is the common denominator. People always, well, what do you learn about? I go, that's what you learn wherever you go. And they may do it, they may not, some of the greatest people in the world or some of the great relationships or people that don't have what we would consider, you know, they're not trying to keep up with the Joneses with a new car or the next TV or the next phone or whatever. They're enjoying the families and the relationships and the neighborhoods and the things that they do culturally. And being exposed to that kind of at least helps me kind of reset. So that, that's the reason I love travel. So love another non-quick answer. Man, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill you. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. You're gonna kill me. No, no, I only got one one more for you. Um, just a book that you would recommend. <clears throat> And I know there's some 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 books that we want to get to, but a book a yeah. book that you're reading. You yeah, yeah. Um, well, I can tell you one of the books that I've read probably in the, in the last year that I found really good uh, was called From Generosity to Justice, and um, it's written by and I can't believe I just drew a blank on on his name. I, I know the guy. He's the uh, head of the Ford Foundation, which is the largest philanthropic foundation in in America. Um, oh, I can't believe I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I apologize. It was called From Generosity to Justice. And his point is he's, he's a black gay man in his 60s who grew up in Mississippi um, and grew up to run the largest philanthropic foundation in, in America. But his point is, is that we have to do more than make donations and say we're helping people out. Um, the, we have to make sure that, that justice is involved, that equity is involved. You know, donating to a school and making sure the kids actually get an education are two totally different things. Um, and those kind of things. So I, I think that's one book that I would certainly recommend to everybody. And I apologize. That I totally forgot his name right now. <laughs> no worries. All right. So uh, definitely want to jump into the winner's circle, man. This is just amazing. And I think this is kind of part of, um, well, you, we'll let you explain that. But I think uh, one of the things we, we talk about is we push education. We push like that's mm -hmm. why, you know, MH asked, like, what's a book you're reading? But um, and let, let, let's clap it up for you, man. You just recently graduated, man. Let's go. Thank you. So, so uh, you got your, was it um, public, uh, public Master's in Public Policy and Administration, administration at mm -hmm. um, Northwestern, correct? Yes, sir. Please share with us, because, of course, we read your bio before, but please share with our audience <laughs> what made you push, I mean, go into that. Please explain the, the, the background by minorities and the social injustice. Like, how did that kind of all come together for you? Okay, well, if you go back to the background, when I first went to Coe College, I was a political science major as a freshman. Now, I wound up changing just for a lot of people go there for a year and a semester and decide they want to be something different. But I've always had an interest in, in politics and policy. Um, you know, but then I got in you know, a sports track and, and this business. And so I really didn't go back to that other than just having an interest in it personally. But after the events of 2020, and particularly the killing of George Floyd, I think like so many people, I was trying to, okay, figure out how do I make a difference? Um, what can I do? And I felt then, and, and certainly feel now, that I've been blessed to have a platform. 
Um, and not saying that people do what I want them to do or whatever, but I, I've got a voice that I can use. So how do I best use that voice to, to activate change? And for me, it has to be more than a hashtag or than going on, on Instagram and, and complaining about somebody and saying they did them wrong. You have leaders. And when I say leaders, some of them are politicians. Some of them are CEOs in the corporate world. But you have people that can actually make change. The question is, how do you get them to do it? With that and the platform and access that I have, I thought, okay, I need to find out what they need. Rather than going into a politician's office or, or CEO's office and say, hey, wouldn't it be cool if you did this? I need to be able to say, okay, I understand that in order to get this end goal, you need this first step. Here's how you can get that first step. Or here are the avenues that we can take. So mm -hmm. find out what they need so that you can provide them the information to help them get you down to where you want them to get in the end. And so going back and studying public policy um, was seemed natural to me um, because it does affect both the corporate and, and political world. And so then you know, I started just kind of researching. I mean, I'm out here in, in, in Southern California and USC has one of the top public policy programs. And I was torn between public policy and administration. Um, but then I saw Northwestern has the number one ranked public policy uh, uh, program and a top five public administration. And they also have a, a combined master's program where you can do both. So that became the easy answer for me at least. Uh, and then it was just weird because here I am at that time, I was 55 years old and I'm filling out college applications and you're you know, trying to get your grade point average from, from college and <laughs> your transcripts and you're writing a, you know, an essay and all and you're like, God, I thought I was done with this. And then you're sitting back with your fingers crossed, waiting for that you know, letter. Oh, did I get in? Did I get in? Did I get in? So that was that was kind of wild. Uh, and then once I got in, it was it was I mean it was a no brainer for me because that I knew what I wanted to do and I knew where I wanted to go. So it was just a matter of, of carving out the time for it. And I just put my head down and kept going forward. And I think right now I just completed the degree at the, at the uh, end of August, um, right before Labor Day. And so it's a matter of figuring out exactly how I want to use it. Uh, and I don't think there's one way. There's not, you know, okay, I'm going to do this and that's going to be the, the path for the rest of my life. I think right. they use it here, maybe in, in some corporate setting. I can use it here in, in some, uh, you know, NGO setting or, or some foundational setting. I can use it here maybe in a political setting. And one of the things that I did even before I graduated was I, the last week of July, I went to Washington, D.C. and I met with 13 members of Congress, uh, seven uh, representatives and six senators. Uh, and I think the split was kind of the same seven Democrats, six Republicans, because I wanted to meet from people from both parties. Uh, and I wanted to meet people that I considered either moderate or pragmatic, not crazy people on either extreme um, to just kind of discuss more of an introduction than anything else, but also to kind of pick their brain and say, okay, look, are some of these things that we all want to achieve actually achievable? Because Washington looks like a mess right now, uh, at least from an outside standpoint. So I wanted to kind of dig in and find out some of what I found out made me more hopeful. Some of it made me less hopeful, but it goes back to kind of what I was talking about. I have that access. I, again, not patting myself on the back or, or, or saying that I'm anything special, but I do Fox NFL Sunday. So when I reach out, I'm able to get 13 members of Congress to meet with me over a three-day stretch. Some of them went to dinner with me, lunch with me. I mean, so it wasn't just, okay, come to the office, shake my hand, and I'll pretend I met with you. Right. So I'm able to do that as an average citizen, you have a hard enough time getting your own congressperson to meet with you, forget 13 of them. So that goes back to what I was saying. If I had this access, then I can get people to sit down with me, let me find a way to use it for good rather than just saying, oh, wow, I got a chance to meet with them and we took pictures and, and you know, and that's it. <laughs> there's, a lot, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of deep stuff that I could, we can get into that. From there, I mean, what I've what I've learned in this short time talking to you is just about you always learning and how much people and relationships mean to you. Yeah, I, I mean, without getting huge, too big picture, like did that start back at home, or how's that just? No, you're, you're... I, that's a good question. I was the shyest kid until I was about fifteen. Like <laughs> I had, like I told you, I played sports and stuff, but I was always I was like the quiet kid of the sport, uh, the sports team in the neighborhood. I would just play, but I was always really quiet. Uh, until I was about 15, and as usual, it was a girl, and I was like, "Oh, yeah. I want to get her. I better start talking." Full mouth, don't get fed. <laughs> exactly. So, so that kind of changed, and, and for whatever reason, I kind of opened up from that standpoint. 
Um, but no, I, I've never, I being shy, you, you were not in a hurry to meet people and that kind of thing, mm -hmm. but it changed. But I also go back to, you know, I, I started traveling uh, in 94. So I was 28 years old then when I took my, first, like I'd been to Mexico or whatever, but like big international trip. And, and by doing that, that made me want to explore more because I did want to get off the beaten path and see things that weren't necessarily in a guidebook or, or that you're you know, only hear about or only the things that you hear about. And by doing that, I think it kind of reinforced it, you know, um, that, oh, wow, there's some cool crap out here that you don't know. Or by meeting people one on one, it's more than, than what you hear about. And so by doing it once, then you want to do it again. You do it again. You want to do it again. And I think that really opened up that door. So in media, right, or new media, however you want to, because we are considered new media, what is the... Well, I think I'm definitely old media for sure. <laughs> Sunday morning, hour on TV, a little football all day. It doesn't get much, much more old school than that. What do you think is the responsibility? Because you talk about a platform, you know, what do you mm -hmm. think is the responsibility of a media to talk about some of these things, right? Because you hear that, you know, like our mm -hmm. opening talks about, you know, shut up and dribble. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even one of the things we just posted on our social media, I know you're not on there a lot, but what we posted on our social media was a kind of, um, you know, a back and forth that you guys had when bringing up the topic that we talk about a lot on our show is the, um, the, pre the, uh, the presence of black coaches. Black coaches. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, your, your team was, they were, everybody was putting in great commentary, right? Like, you know, um, Jimmy was talking about, we need more GMs and, you know, we need more, uh, you know, it was just kind of going down that line right. and it was great to have that conversation and to hear that from them. But you mm -hmm. said it doesn't take black, we don't need black people to hire black people. Yeah. And the way you did. It shouldn't you did, take black people to hire black people. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on, let's talk about how cold it was when you did it. Like, it was yeah. almost like a walk-off, though, when you hit it. <laughs> well, no, it. It wasn't meant that way. It was, I go back to, it was genuine. It was know, that's what I thought. But also, because of the relationships we all have, nobody took it personally. I mean, first of all, I think they all agreed. I just said it a different way. But it wasn't like, in some cases, you're like, oh, they're pissed at Kurt, or Jimmy and Kurt don't like each other. It was not any of that. And I think we were able to do that on our show. You talk about the responsibility, and I think that kind of is a good example of it, is that I think we have a responsibility to use the platforms that we have mm -hmm. for the benefit of others, meaning besides the people that are in whatever room you're in, you know, you can't just all collect a paycheck and then go, okay, I'm good. Um, <laughs> but you also should only do what you're comfortable with. I think, you know, like if you're not comfortable speaking out about these issues, then you shouldn't, you shouldn't be forced wow. to um, some jobs require you to do it. So you're like, okay, this is part of the job, so you need to. But if right. that's not who you are, if you're a professional athlete or you're a media person, you go, I just want to give scores and I don't want to talk about anything else, then I think you have the right to do it. Now it's up to other people to decide whether or not you may have that job. And, and I'm not talking about cancel culture or whatever. It's just like some jobs require you to do certain things. Um, but yeah, I think the worst thing you can do is, is pretend you care about something. Get on a soapbox and be full of crap. You know, to, to me, that's more offensive than not saying anything and dangerous that could go, yeah, on, a whole, dangerous. <laughs> that could exactly. go on a whole other <laughs> yeah no you're right, right. well hey so kind of wrapping it up and we'll man hopefully we can grab your, your ear a couple minutes after the show <laughs> <laughs> but um uh, what we want to kind of do is this is the part where we call the assist right so this is where you kind of put your coaching hat on or you know mm -hmm. you kind of give that a, the assist to our listeners man so if there's a word you live by or a quote or just kind of what you would tell your younger self go you know, I think the whole thing is, is it's kind of a little bit what we were just talking about. Make whatever you do about more than you, you know, and it, it doesn't mean that you can't satisfy your desire to have a job. I love doing what I do. And so by doing it, that makes me happy. Uh, I love collecting a paycheck. <laughs> so by doing that, that makes me happy. So I'm not saying you can't serve yourself, but don't let that be the end game. Let whatever you do be about more than you. As I use this example, I go, okay, I've got a platform. Let me use that for the greater good. Let me find a way to use that for the greater good. And I've got a foundation that I'm part of, Us United, I'm one of the founding uh, members of. And, and like one of the things we talk about is unity and bringing people together. And it kind of started the same thing out of the George Floyd protest. And part of it began by trying to bring together police departments or lo local law enforcement and um, members of the black community, in, in all honesty, in different areas of the country. And we started there and it's kind of expanded into some other things just because the world's freaking nuts right now. But uh, um, that's just another example for me. It's like, find whatever it is that that drives you, that makes you happy, 
but that serves other people. Is Usher United right. going to be your calls for cleats this year? I know you. you yeah, kind of yeah that. it was last year. Yeah, it was last year. year. You're going to do it again because, yeah. like, that's a great initiative. And like, so many things that you do, man. We didn't get into the book, which but, I've. Yeah. <laughs> Which, which I read, and well, that's because I rambled too long. That's my fault. Sorry. Not, no, not at all, man. We, like we we enjoy these conversations, and that's what it's meant to be. So I hope well, the listeners do it too. Mh, man, final thoughts. Now, just just uh, humble by you being on with us, man, and very appreciative. So uh, we'll be watching on Sunday for sure. I for appreciate sure. it. I, I thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. No, we've enjoyed it, man. So we got to thank a couple people. So obviously, you know, Howie Long Jr., man, yeah, much Howie. love and appreciate you, brother. Um, and then, you know, uh, your management, uh, Derek, man, Derek helped us kind of uh, get everything. So Derek, thank you for your time and coordination to get everything. And finally, man, we want to thank you, the people for listening, man. I hope you've enjoyed this show as much as we did. Um, and that's what it's about conversations, man. And, and thank you once again, Kurt, for jumping on and spending the time with us as a busy man, especially during season right. and all the other great things that you have going on. So please, please, um, we drop a new show every Thursday, so please subscribe to YouTube um, as well as wherever you listen to podcasts because visual representation matters. And like we always say, please stay safe, practice gratitude, and know we're rooting for you. Screaming, all us blacks got a sports and entertainment until we even. Assuming I'm rooting for everybody that's black. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, sue me, I'm rooting for everybody that's black. Yo, 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 sue me, I'm rooting for everybody that's black. Spap out to racks on handmade new rags. Sue me, I'm rooting for everybody that's black. That's everybody from sports to college class to rap and back.